Eden is a, it's kind of a love story between a man and, and his bride. Um, but what it's a picture of, for those who are in Sunday school, all right, what it's a type of or a symbol of is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. And so what they're singing about is the Lord telling us that, hey, I'm coming soon. My coming's near. And if you're a child of God, that ought to excite you a little bit. Amen. All right, go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10 this morning. Matthew chapter 10. And uh, I'm going to have you stand with me for a little bit. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And this is uh, a well-known passage uh, because this is where the Lord sends out. Uh, the disciples are named and they're ordained and, and they're sent out. And uh, the, the, the commission that they receive is different. If we're talking about rightly dividing the scriptures, it's different than the commission that we have today that you read about at the end of the gospel of Matthew, where he says to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In this commission, they're not to go into the way of the Gentiles or the way of the Samaritans. And there's a lot of differences that you might find between the two commissions. But, but there are some things that are very relevant to us today. And there's one major thought that I'd like to bring to you. But let's start in verse number five. These 12 Jesus sent forth... And commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Talking about going out and by faith and not worrying about how you're going to make it for yourself physically in this world. But if you go out in the name of Jesus to preach the, the, the message that he's commanded them to preach, uh, he's telling them that God would take care of them and meet their needs. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. And whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, I don't want to go too much into Jewish custom, and I don't want to go too far into this. I simply want to say that the house that are going to preach the message at had one of two options. They could accept them, or they could what? Reject them. And, and I want you to notice what the Lord tells them in verse 14. How is it that he tells them to deal with that rejection? Look at verse 14. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Shake off the dust of your feet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for God's help. I want to talk to you this morning about learning to deal dealing with rejection. And uh, we're going to learn that it's part of the human experience and it has so much more to do with how you deal with it versus who is providing that rejection to you. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Ask for God to bless the word. Brother Steon, if you'd ask the, the blessing.
Amen. Be seated if you would. I, I, I want you to understand and I want you to see that there is great power given to the disciples. Look back if you would at verse number 8 in the passage. Notice this. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Guys, that is some amazing power. If I walked in here and somebody had died, and I know sometimes on a Sunday morning uh, when the message goes real long, it might feel like you're going to die, all right? But hopefully, I don't, I don't know. Listen, we've been to church here for 13 years. By the grace of God, nobody has ever died in church. Your odds are pretty good this morning, all right? So, so, but, but I, want, I want to be serious for a moment and just say this. If I walked in here and I said, I got the power to raise the dead, you know what you would say to me? That is amazing power. If I could say, if I could tell you, I've got the ability to, let's say Brother Steon's got COVID. I go, uh, be healed, Brother Steon. And all of a sudden, COVID's gone. He's better. Everything's good now. You go, man, that's amazing. If you could see that I could, I could walk up to somebody that had leprosy and they got uh, marks all over their body. They got this, this disease that is consuming their flesh. And nobody wants to come near them. Nobody wants to touch them. They are, alone. they are isolated by themselves. And you know what leprosy is in the Bible? It's a picture of sin. Sin will ruin you and it contaminates you and it ruins everything that you touch unless somebody can come and heal you of that leprosy. Thank God for the grace of God that will come in and cleanse us of all that. But if I, if I walked up to somebody and Lenny had leprosy and I said, hey, be thou cleansed. And all of a sudden, Lenny's leprosy was gone. You know what you would do? You'd look at that and go, man, that is amazing power. And you'd be right to say that. But, but I want you to think about this. With the power to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers. I mean, they got blind people that Jesus uh, puts his hands on their eyes and they see again. And, and by the way, at the end of this story in Matthew 10, when the disciples come back, the Lord's like, hey, how'd it go? And you know what they say? It was amazing. It was everything that you said it was. We saw dead people come back to life. It was awesome. We had great power. But you know what power they didn't have? They did not have power to control whether somebody would accept or reject them. You know, you can have a lot of power in your life, but you know what power you don't have? You don't have the power to control whether you are accepted or rejected by those people. You know what's an amazing thought? God himself says, let there be light, and there's light. God says, let me divide the, the dry land, and we're going to call that earth, and we're going to call this water over here the seas, and let's separate the, the waters from above the heavens, which we call space in the firmament, in the, is the Bible word for it. We call it outer space. Let's divide that water. And by the way, for years, scientists mocked the Bible and said, what, what is this water that God talks about in Genesis? And a couple years ago, you know what they said? We think we found water in outer space. Well, we're glad you caught up to a several hundred-year-old book. Amen. Uh, but, but, but here's what I want you to understand. God says something, and he has all the power to just make it happen. He says, let there be light, there's light. He says, let there be this, there's this. He says, let the, let the, 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 the seed-bearing uh, plants, and let's let them bear seed and the fruit-bearing trees. And man, they're there. And, and all of a sudden, energy is transferred from the life source of God into his creation. And just like that, with the voice of his power, the universe is there. And by the way, Brother Tim and I were talking yesterday. He mentioned that now scientists believe that there's not just a Big Bang. Maybe there were several Big Bangs. And I said, man, that's fine. I can go along with that. Let there be light. Bang. Yeah, right? Uh, 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 let there be land. Bang, right? Uh, let there be seas. Bang. I'm okay with that. It goes right back to the book anyways in the end. But the idea is this. God has all the power to say something, and it happens. 
It's amazing. That's why the Bible calls Jesus Christ, when it, when it talks about him in his pre-incarnate form, basically before he came as a baby in that manger, it calls the title that God gives him in the Bible is the Word of God, capital W-Y, because he spoke and it was. What a great God we serve. But you know what's amazing about that? With all the power that God has, here's one power that he does not reserve unto himself. He does not reserve the power to overcome your will and make you do what he says. Are you listening this morning? With all, listen, I, I believe the Bible. I don't believe uh, uh, what man's thoughts are in the Bible. And there was a man a long time ago, and there's probably some good things that he did, but a man named John Calvin. And basically, his ideology was this. God is going to determine who's saved and who's lost. He's going to throw certain people to hell against their own will. He'll let certain people into heaven, maybe against their own will. And it's just because God's God. He can do whatever he wants. But that is an unjust and unrighteous and immoral God. Because if a God does that, you know what he's not? He is not just. He did not give you the opportunity to choose that which was right. You know what we have? We have a mess on our hands today. You know why? Because of this little thing called free will. And God gives you the will, listen to me, to accept what he says is right for your life. And to do it, to accept his son or to reject his son, that choice is yours. God does not make it for you. Are you listening this morning? He lets you decide. With all the power that God has, with all the things that he could do, he does not force his will on your life. So, why do we think that we can do that with other people? So, why is it that when someone rejects us, we try to control how they feel about us? You know what the problem is with rejection? It's you feeling that you should take God's place to make people feel or think a certain way about you. God himself doesn't do that. You know what the Bible says? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Aren't you glad? I don't think Ben's over it yet, by the way. I think he's still excited that he got saved here a couple years ago. I don't, you don't seem like you're over it. He's still smiling. He's still coming to church. He's such, a, he's such a Bible freak. He's not going in a Bible institute to learn the word of God. He is going to pay to go to school at night when he could be doing something else and flipping through the channels and relaxing after he's been at work all day. He's not over it yet. That's a good thing. Praise God for that. But let me say this. You, you know what? When it comes to the Christian life, you need to understand this. God gives you choice after choice after choice. The moment you get saved, the lights come on. But even then, he doesn't force you to do anything that's right. He allows you to choose. And if you're here, listen to me. If you're lost without Jesus Christ, I've played the mental games. I've heard people do it. Here's what they say. Well, you know, if God's a righteous God, then why does he let bad things happen? I'll tell you why bad things happen. Because we're stupid. You know, you're going 80 miles an hour in a 55, you get pulled over. God, why is this happening? Because you're stupid. 
bad things happen sometimes. Listen, now, now all joking aside, there are very bad things that happen to, to very good people. And people will say, why was that person murdered? Why was that person attacked? Why is there a, a, a genocide? And why is there starvation? And all these great questions. Can I tell you why? Because of sin. And God didn't make that happen. We did. We chose sin. You go, oh, I wasn't there in the garden. Yeah, well then stop sinning now, won't you? You got a choice. No one made you do it. No one makes you think something that's wrong. No one makes you proud. No one makes you envious. No one makes you covetous. No one makes you, gentlemen, look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, and you've already committed adultery when you do it. No one makes you do that. You choose to do that. You know what God does? He goes, I'm going to show you what's right, and I'm going to let you choose. I'm going to send my son down to that earth to his own people, and they're going to reject him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open it up to whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Aren't you glad for that invitation? You ever, you ever heard uh, two people talking about an event, and you're like, oh, man, I really wish I could go. And you hear them talk about it, you're like, hey, guys, can I come? No, it's just for us. Aren't you glad God's not like, nope, just for us. He lets anyone that wants to come on. Whosoever will, but it implies something, and what it implies is that your will must be aligned with his. You have to choose him. He won't make you do that. You know who the greatest expert on rejection would be in the universe? God himself. So you ask yourself, how do you deal with rejection? I think there's some things that you can learn through being rejected, but you need to understand you're in good company. You know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ in prophecy? He is despised and rejected of men. Do I have any uh, kids from the 90s here? You grew up in the 90s. You're now in your 30s and 40s. All right, all right. So does anybody remember the game NBA Jam? Rejected! You remember that? That's all I could think of when I'm putting this message together. Rejected, you know? And, and, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll pray for you. We'll show you the video game later. All right, go Google NBA Jam or something like that. Uh, but but I, I think about, like, man, what is it, uh, what is it that, that's wrong with me when I sense rejection from somebody that puts me into a panic and it puts me in a place where I don't like it. I've got to turn to certain things in my life to feel that I, I feel better about me because someone else rejects me. Why is that? Well, I'll say this. Number one, you were made for companionship and fellowship. God made you that way. But number two, the real issue is this. You are seeking it from places where you will never get it a hundred percent. He's despised and rejected of men and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The Bible says when Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples, the disciple is not above his master. Listen, Christian, let me say this right now. There are going to be times when you try to live for God and you're going to be rejected by people, sometimes people that you love. And you're going to say, like, why is this happening? Can I just remind you, the disciple is not above his master. Who here, and that's not a trick question, I, I know sometimes you go to church and the preachers do this dirty thing, you know, if you, if you love God, raise your hand, you raise your hand, you know, and then, and then and like, all right, if you love God, brother Shannon, then why don't you give him all, you don't love God, you know, and then Stephen feels bad about it, he never puts his arm up again in church. We're not doing that, I promise you, but how many of you would like to know God better? Sincere question. Paul says it this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship 
and the fellowship, listen to me, and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know what that means? You're going to have to taste rejection. The reality is this. Rejection is part of the human experience. You don't live life without experiencing rejection. By the way, you, don't, you cannot accept certain things without rejecting others. That's just the truth. If I accept the Bible as the authority in my life, then I don't really care what somebody says when they say that they're here for science. By the way, I don't feel intimidated by someone saying it's science. Not anymore. Not anymore. When someone puts a litter box in a classroom for kids and tells me it's science, I'm sorry, I'm not on that crazy train with you. And you're not going to make me feel bad for me going, that ain't science. You know what's going on in society? They try to put up, when you get rid of the authority of the word of God, all that is is somebody else is trying to take the place of God's authority. And listen, when it comes to the truth of the universe and the truth of life and the purpose of life, the reality is you are going to be rejected whether you're saved or whether you're lost. You're going to experience rejection. The question is, do you have any purpose in it? I can tell you this, if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you might learn a few lessons along the way, but the worst rejection you're ever going to hear, listen to me very carefully, is this. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You can deal with a lot of rejection. Let me tell you one person you don't want to be rejected by. Oh, well, God just loves me. I mean, look at me. I'm not, I'm not, I never killed anybody. You know, I don't steal anything. I, I try to be good to my neighbor. I mean, of course God loves me. Let me, let me, just, let me just say this right now. You need to understand, I, I, I'm not picking on you if that's how you think, but you need to understand this much. God does not look at us and go, man, what a great guy. What a great gal. He sees every thought, every single motive, and what he does is he measures that against a sinless man. And by doing that, we fall short. So you know what the issue is? The issue is this. Who are you willing to be rejected by? Uh, listen, I, by, by virtue, and I hate the fact that I don't have, I went, you know, wrestling with these kids at summer camp and throwing these young people in, in a lake. The last summer camp I was just at in, uh, in Donnelly, Idaho, and throwing these kids in the lake, and man, it got violent. I mean, before you know it, there's three guys on me, you know, and I'm, it's all, I, listen, I'm 40. I'm going to bite you. I'm going to do everything I can. Because the, the, real, the reality is you've got more stamina than I do if you're 18 years old. But I'm going to do everything I can that's dirty to make sure you never jump on me again. <laughs> I found myself playing basketball with these guys and kind of just doing this, you know. And, and they're like, what would you do? I didn't do anything, you know. Just, you got to find a way to keep up, man, when you're 40 years old. I lost my, my wedding ring. Yeah. And I said, hey, honey, so uh, I was playing with the boys and... <laughs> but, but all joking aside, you know why when I finally get the new one on, you know what it's going to say to everybody? I reject you if you're not my wife. Do you understand? You, you know what I'm saying? I accept her, but by accepting her, I'm rejecting the other offers. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, in life, you got, if you're going to accept certain things by virtue of that, that, that your acceptance of those things, that means you're going to reject other things as well. If you're going to want the praise of men, you will never have the praise of God. And, and if you want the praise of God, you've got to be okay with getting some rejection from men. How do you deal with rejection? We have an entire generation that is being raised and they don't know how to deal with it. And I'm not saying that to be mean. 
listen, if you're told you're perfect and you know everyone should love you, and look, you know what the reality is? I tell my kids, people aren't going to like you all the time. Sometimes they're going to reject you. Sometimes you're going to fall short. Sometimes just because you have a Bible in your arm, they're going to hate you. Sometimes it doesn't even have to do with the Bible or anything like spiritual. Just you annoy them. They don't like you. They want you lost. And what are you going to do? Oh, they don't like me. You know what? For the rest of your life, someone is not going to like you. And let's be honest. Let's flip around. Do you like everybody? Come on. Some of you come to church, you don't even like the people you go to church with. Don't lie. Don't lie in God's house. You know what the truth is? You reject certain people too. But the question is, as a child of God, how does God lay out in the Bible that we should deal with rejection? Let me tell you this. If you don't learn to deal with it the right way, you will deal with it the wrong way. Different examples in the scriptures. How about this? Cain and Abel. See what happens. Well, first two uh, family members of Adam and Eve that are recorded in Scripture, and, and Cain's a gardener. I've got to tell you something. I've got a garden. There's a temptation when you have a garden that produces to be like, ooh, look what came out of my garden. Look what came out of, watch it, my garden. Not your garden, my garden. I mean, I've never seen tomatoes so pretty. These zebra tomatoes, little green zebra tomatoes, these are the prettiest tomatoes I've ever. It's like you are with your kids, you know? You know, the, the kid could have like looked like he fell out the back of a turnip truck. Oh, he's so beautiful. Why? They're your kid, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. When they come out, they look like Charles, a mix between Charles Bronson and aliens. And, and they just, but, but you look at that baby and you go, oh, it's the most beautiful baby. Why? It's your baby. You know, you know what Cain does? He goes, look at what my garden produced. Look at my effort. And he brings that to God, even though God said, that's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for the blood of an animal, the blood of a lamb. And Abel is the keeper of the sheep. And Cain is too proud to ask his brother for a sheep. So Cain does what, Cain, what, what religious people do. He brings the best that he can. And he offers it on that altar. And guess what? God does not send the fire down like he does with Abel and like he does with Elijah. That, that, that sacrifice sits there cold and those vegetables and those fruits sit there and they rot. And Cain's like, what's the deal, God? And you know what God says? I have no respect for that offering. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield, no respect. He got no respect. No respect for the offering that Cain brings to God. Then Abel brings his sacrifice and the fire comes down and, and it's a sign that God accepts one sacrifice, listen to me, but rejects the other. How does Cain respond to that? How does he respond to the rejection? I'll tell you, he kills his brother. How you deal with rejection says so much more about you than the party that's rejecting you. Go with me to Genesis, back to the beginning. Genesis I want to kind of walk you through a narrative and then we'll take a break from the narrative and we'll come back to it later at the end of the message. Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37. And, and let me help you parents out. <clears throat> okay? If you love one kid more than the other, don't tell anybody. <laughs> okay? You will avoid a lot of heartache this way. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 37. 
And look, if you would, unless it's God calling, don't answer. Genesis chapter 37, look, if you would, at verse number 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock, talking about uh, Joseph, his son. Look at verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Little trivia question. How many of you guys know that little Joe, our own very little Joe, who normally sits right there in the corner, is the last child, and he's the baby of the family. He is the son of their old age, that, thus the name Joseph. Now, here's what happens. Jacob loves Joseph more than all the other brothers because he's the baby, and so much so that he gives him a coat of many colors. And, and, and so everywhere that Joseph goes, I mean, he walks around with this coat, and it's kind of like a reminder to everybody else, hey, look, dad loves me more than he loves you. Aren't you glad in the family of God? There's no favorites. He loves me like, I mean, he just treats us like we're his only child, all of us, and he takes such good care of us. But, but I want you to understand that Joseph walks around this coat. Look, if you would, at verse number five. Notice what the Bible says here. Uh, look what it says in verse five. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren. By the way, can I stop you right now? If your brothers don't like you already, and you have a dream that they're bowing down and worshiping you, don't tell them that dream. Little tidbit of advice, okay? I, I'm not sure anyone's going to have that dream, but if you, I have a dream. If you had that dream, don't tell anybody. They're going to hate you more. What happens in verse 4? Go back to verse 4. Notice his brothers, they couldn't even talk to him. I mean, Joseph gets up in the morning. Hey, guys, shut up. <laughs> they could not speak peaceably unto him. Right? You know, like, hey, guys, isn't it a great morning? It's so swell to be alive. Man, God is so good. Pound sand, Joe. I mean, they just, they don't want him around. You know what Joseph was from really the beginning of his life? No fault of his own in the beginning. He's rejected by his brothers. Look, if you would, at verse 19 in this chapter. One day, his dad says, hey, say, son, I, I want you to go check on how your brothers are doing. <laughs> this is a recipe for disaster, parents, when you take the child that everyone knows is the favorite to go spy on the other kids. And so Joseph goes... And he's following his dad's instruction, but look at verse number 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore. Now look, I've heard of some bad sibling rivalries, you know, like brothers giving each other wedgies, you know, and stuff like that, and, you know, stealing stuff and picking on them, you know, and playing pranks on them. I don't know that I've ever met any family like this family. You know what? People go, oh, dysfunctional families. We have really bad dysfunctional families today in America. They've been around a long time. I mean, this guy, this guy's got brothers who are like, hey, <laughs> let's skip all the pranks. Let's just throw them in a pit and let them die. This is the plan. And if you read the, the rest of this chapter, do you know what happens? I mean, uh, they, they take Joseph, they strip him of his raiment, that coat of many colors. That was part of his identity. They throw him into a pit basically to isolate him. And the Bible says in this chapter, that pit has no water. He is without friends. He is without family. He is without identity, without provision, left to die. I don't know. That seems like a good example of rejection to me. Anybody here have any trouble with their family? Now, the next question I'm going to ask, if it does actually pertain to you, please do not raise your hand. Have they ever tried to kill you? Don't raise your hand. 
I'm scared in 2023 to see who, yeah, they did, you know. You know what that is? That's, a, that's an ultimate rejection. And, and let me tell you a little bit about what happens. Uh, in chapter 39, where you can turn if you want, what ends up happening is Joseph ends up being sold into slavery, and he's sold into Egypt, and he winds up in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's one of the governors, a delegated with authority from, care, from Pharaoh, the, the ultimate ruler. Basically, Pharaoh was God in Egypt, and he is de- to, to the people of Egypt, he was God. He would delegate his authority to governors. Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar is one of those said governors. And so Joseph, just by, you might say luck, we would say providence, God's, God's help, God's hand, Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house, and he becomes one of his most trusted servants in that house. If something's going to be done, uh, the Bible says about Joseph, if, if there was something to be done, he was the doer of it. Joseph is working, and he's doing his thing, and one day, Potiphar's wife comes by and says, hey, I've been watching you. Okay. Um, hey, just so you know, my husband's not around. And he goes, beep, beep, beep. And there's a song that these kids sing, and it's called Put On Your Running Shoes. Put on your running shoes when temptation comes knocking at your door. You don't play with it. You will get burnt. You run for your life. The Bible says flee youthful lust. You know what Joseph does? He runs. But one day he's by himself, and there's nobody else in the house, and she comes on to him like she did before. And he runs for his life, and she grabs Watch it, his coat, of all the things. And some of you know the story. She ends up making a false accusation against this guy. So this guy was left for dead by his brothers, sold into slavery. They made money off of their bro, being left for dead and sold into slavery. Talk about feeling rejected. It'd be one thing if, like, you know, they hated me, they left me, and then they came back. Oh, no, he's gone. They made money off of this. And then he winds up in Egypt as a servant. And here he's thinking to himself, maybe my life's going to turn around. And then this woman won't leave him alone. And he's trying to do the right thing. And the guy ends up, as the Bible accounts for us, the guy ends up in jail for doing nothing wrong. Would you feel rejected at that point? Bible says that his master puts him into prison where the king's prisoners were bound. The Bible says he was there in prison. And so years go by and Joseph is in prison. And one day, the baker and the butler, and I don't think there's a candlestick maker in this story, but we'll throw him in there too. But the baker and the butler have a dream about something and Joseph is able to rightly interpret it. And he makes them know that it's the spirit of God not him, but it's God's spirit that's the interpreter of these dreams. You know what that butler says? Buddy, if I ever get out of here, <laughs> right? If I ever get out of here, I'll remember you. So you know what? That butler gets out of there. And guess what he does? He forgets about Joseph. If you were to look at chapter 40, look, look, look if you would at chapter 40, I believe toward the end of the chapter, look if it, at verse number 23, you need to find out the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but rather he forgot him. 
You know what this guy's experiencing? Rejection, 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 rejection. One day, Pharaoh has a dream, and all of a sudden, that butler goes, oh, yeah, there's this guy. Man, I forgot about Talk about a big oops. Can you imagine going up to the guy like, hey, bro, I'm so sorry. You've been riding here for five more years. And Joseph gets out of prison, interprets the dream, and he becomes a leader, second in charge to Pharaoh. Pharaoh even gives him a certain ring and says, hey, you're, you're over. Unless it's, unless it's something that has to come to me, you got it. It's a big deal. He gets married, has kids, names one of them Manasseh, one Ephraim, because God has made me forget my sorrow. Right? But the story's not over. You know what happens after he has a new life? He comes face to face with the guys that rejected him. His brothers come rolling in there one day, and they have no idea who he is. But right away he sees them. The Bible says on more than one occasion, he has to have himself excused because he just loses it. Can you imagine that? Feeling like you're over something and you come face to face with it and the tears start streaming and the burden of all that bitterness and resentment starts boiling up from within you. See, sometimes you think you're over something until you have to deal with it again. I, I wish I could tell you that, that, that saved people never have those problems. We have them as well. His brothers come in there and he hears them talk about all the trouble they're going through. He starts putting them through some trouble. <laughs> I mean, he slips a silver cup that's a big deal into one of their sacks and goes, my cup's missing. I mean, I, that, now that's a prank right there. <laughs> right, that, that's kind of, he says like, guys, let me show you how this is done. He slips the cup in there and they get down the road. Oh, guys, my cup, you know, the, the, the real important one, the one that, that shows everybody, I'm the second in charge of Pharaoh. Well, where's that cup at? We don't know where it's at. Why don't you go find those Hebrew guys and see if it's in one of their sacks? <gasps> we didn't take it. We didn't do it. We don't know. Oh, my God. I'll tell you why this is happening to us, brothers. It's happening because of what we did to Joseph. And he's staying right there, and he hears all of it. And his mind goes back to years before when he's screaming and crying and tears are streaming down. There's no water. There's no hope. It's dark. And they left him. Moses is called by God to liberate the people of Israel out of Egypt. And I love how the story starts. Right away he shows up and he goes to Pharaoh and him and Aaron, they go there and Aaron talks and Pharaoh gets mad. And you know what Pharaoh does when he gets mad? He makes the burden for the Israelites even harder. So right off the bat, you know what the Israelites, they're not like, yay, Moses, thank you so much. You know what they're like? Hey, no one wanted you here. Leave us alone. You know, Moses is thinking, dude, I am 80 stinking years old. I could get Social Security and go right back to the backside of the desert. I don't need this foolishness. You know what he experiences right away? Rejection. You see what happens later on. Oh, one day, he's, uh, God is, is, is uh, uh, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and they're, they're going through the desert, and, and he marries in a, a woman of Ethiopia, and, and, and his own family, his sister and his brother, start saying something like this. How come God's only talking to Moses? Who does he think he is? I don't know that that was a good decision. How come he didn't ask us? And then God shows up, and God sets the matter straight. But can I just tell you this? Even when God does that, in the back of Moses' mind, here's what replays over 
over and over. I didn't need this. I was fine by myself. I didn't need to deal with Pharaoh. I didn't need all this trouble. They didn't want me then. Now my own family in the middle of nowhere doesn't want me leading this. And then there's the story of Dathan and Abiram. These men that basically say, hey, who do you think you are, Moses? We can lead as well. We don't need you. And over and over and over, Moses deals with rejection. How about Elijah, the two witnesses that will stand before the presence of God. And when he comes back, Moses and Elijah, Revelation chapter 11, their ministry is not yet done. They're coming back. It's going to be part due, right? They're coming back to, to, to let everybody know, hey, we're not done yet. God's not done with us yet. But Elijah, you know what Elijah does? Elijah goes and stands with the prophets of Baal. And when things don't turn out the way he expects, he runs and he isolates himself and he goes in a cave. Why? Because he felt the sting of disappointment due to rejection. You ever been there? The question is, how do you deal with it? David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. Everybody talks about David and Goliath. Who here, before you were even saved, knew about David and Goliath? You at least heard the name, and you knew that it was like a little guy versus a big guy, you know? It'd be like my son Ethan going to fight with little Joe, right? If little Joe was here, you know, little Joe, oh, 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 you know, and he could just, you know, kick him and Ethan would fly 20 feet, you know, and I mean, and then, and then Ethan goes up there by the power of the Lord, you know, and throws a, and Joe falls over and he's dead, you know, I mean, that's David and Goliath, right? Well, when David shows up, let's go back to the story. Remember when David shows up, his own brother, you know what Eliab says? Why are you here? No one wants you here. I know why you're here. You're here to cause trouble. Get out of here. Why? I think sometimes God wants to see how serious we are about pursuing him. And if we're going to allow a little bit of rejection to keep us from the great things and the supernatural things that God wants to do in our lives. David wins the battle that day. So everything's great for the rest of David's life. No. Because now he's won. So you know what the ladies are doing? David has slain his thousands, but, right? Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. If it was in Puerto Rico, Salón, ha murido, pero David murió, el atacó el gigante. Right? Right? And so, maybe, I don't know, but either way, here's what happens. Saul gets envious. What did David do wrong? Nothing. It gets so bad that one day David is in there playing with his harp. And Saul grabs a spear and throws it. And David doesn't fight back. He just goes, what do I do? He runs and he prays. But you know what David felt from his own family and now from the man he's called to serve? Rejection. You think you're going to get through life with no one rejecting you? The the question is not, are we going to be rejected? The question is, how are we going to deal with it when it comes our way. Later on in David's life, a great picture of Jesus Christ, a great type of Jesus Christ. David the king allows these men to come and find refuge with David. And uh, the way the Bible describes these men is not exactly people you'd want around. I mean, if you're building a church, you don't go, everyone that's in debt... And everyone that's distressed and everyone that's discontented, let's go do something. Let's come on. 
the triple D. You know, you know who shows up there? These guys in David's cave. And they go, hey, we'll follow you. And David becomes like a father to many of them, loves them like his own kids. And they win many battles together and they fight together and they forge a bond. But one day things aren't like they used to be. And they come to a place called Ziklag where the families have been kidnapped. And guess who's to blame now? David. The Bible says the people spake of stoning him. And I guarantee you in David's mind, you know what probably went through his mind? Do I handle this like Saul did or do, you, do I do this the way God wants me to? Feeling that sting of rejection from family, feeling that sting of rejection from the king, feeling that sting of rejection from the very men that I've poured my life into to help them fix their own lives. Feeling that for over, you know what I want to do? I want to throw a spear. I want to be like Saul. I want to say, you know what? You want to come take me? Come take me. Let's go. You know what David does? He goes to God. And he encourages himself in the Lord his God. And he does something that is not normal and not natural for us to do. You know what we want to do? You come at me, I'll come at you. How do you handle rejection? By the way, David won the battle that day with the very men who said they are going to kill him. He turns their hearts and they follow him right back into battle. And they win. You know why? How he handled rejection. Who is the author and the finisher of your faith? Is it not Jesus Christ? I just, I just want to give you a couple things and we'll be done. Some thoughts about how Jesus Christ showed his disciples how to handle rejection. Number one, he identified with his father's acceptance, not man's. You know what the Bible says once you're saved? You are accepted in the beloved. You know what that means? If people reject me, and, and did they ever reject his own family? Listen, Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, his own family's like, is not this the son of Joseph, uh, the carpenter's son? Yeah, well, he's no big deal. His family didn't recognize who he was. His disciples forsook him and fled. Peter denies him. Judas betrays him. Thomas is doubtful even after he's risen from the dead. I mean, listen, I'll be honest with you. When I look at the life of Jesus Christ, and, and, and the Bible says we're supposed to follow him, there are moments where I'm like, Lord, how close? Can I just watch you from afar? Because I don't want to get that close. You know what happens in Jesus Christ's life? The very people, just like David, he poured himself into rejected him. You know what he says, though? He says, he that hateth me hateth my father also. He identified, for, you know why these folks are coming to get baptized today? Not because they're wanting to get saved. They're already saved. You know why they're doing this? They want to identify with their heavenly father and with the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're saying, this is my new identity. And you know what, world? You may not like certain things. Listen, I might get rejected by the world. I might get rejected by family. I might get rejected by people I love. I might get rejected by friends. I might get rejected by coworkers. I had someone recently ask me, uh, Pastor, how, how do I deal with, with you know, the old friends from the old life? You know what I said? I said, don't even worry about it. Start living for God. The right ones will stick around. The wrong ones will leave. Can I get a witness? Anybody else ever been there? But there, there's that little transition period where you feel that sting of rejection and, and, and you're no longer part of the inside jokes and you're no longer part of that. And you know what? That's a good thing for you. You need that in order to identify with your new life in Christ. So, so let me just say this. The Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, the way he dealt with rejection was by understanding that his acceptance came from the Father, not from people. 
You know what David says? When my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Can I say this? The Lord knew the true nature of man. You know how you deal with rejection? Understand that people are fickle. Can I ask you a question? Let's, let's be honest. How many of you thought something was 100% a certain way five years ago, and now you think differently about that thing? How many of you, uh, I mean, within sometimes 30 minutes can change your mind? All right, so let's try this out. Jesus comes in on a donkey. They start throwing down palm leaves. And you know, they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Great is he that cometh in the name. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They're throwing down palm leaves and they're bowing down to him and worshiping him is what the Bible says. Not that long after that, some of those people are saying, crucify him. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Why would you seek acceptance from people knowing that they're like that? You know you, don't you? Well, if you know you, you know how you can change your mind. Why would you be so desirous? Well, they don't accept me and they don't love me. You need to be okay with some people not liking you. And understand that the nature of man is fickle and it changes. I'm reminded of the fact that one time Paul and Barnabas go into a city. And when they go into that city, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says they call Paul Jupiter and they call Barnabas Mercurius. And they thought that they were gods that had fallen from outer space down here on earth. And they're worshiping them. Now, I'll be honest with you. If the Lord called me somewhere and people try to start treating me like a god, I'd be tempted to be like, you're right. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be tempted, but you know what they did? They said, hey, stop it, stop it. We're not gods, we're men like you, but we want to talk to you about the one true God. But you know what's amazing about this? It's in Acts 14, read it later, it's an amazing story. You know what happens? They started off being worshipped. By the end of it, they're stoning Paul and Barnabas. You know what I'm trying to get you to understand? Don't put your desire for acceptance in people. Jesus Christ was was able to deal with rejection and he taught his disciples to do the same thing. Why? Because he understood his acceptance came from the Father. And secondly, he understood a little bit about the nature of man. He goes into a town one time. There's a maniac there, a guy naked, running around naked, and he's cutting himself with stones and he's got chains on him and everything the town tries to do, nothing works. Jesus gets a hold of him. And all of a sudden, he's sitting down and he's clothed. You ever read that story and wonder where the clothes came from? Do you know what I think? You know what I think? This is just my thought. This is the Adrian uh, uh, commentary. Okay, here we go. I think the Lord said, hey, I've got this coat. You take it. You know what he did when you got saved? He gave dressed you in his righteousness. And he goes, here you go. And all of a sudden, this man is clothed and he's going, I don't want to be naked anymore. And I don't want to be angry anymore. And, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to be that guy that I used to be. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to learn from the man that, that just healed me. And the whole town comes out to see this. You know what the Bible says? When they saw the man clothed and sitting in his right mind and at the feet of Jesus, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the town was afraid and they said, Jesus, we want you out of here. Look, man, we, had like a, we have a mental health crisis, do we not? All right, if someone showed up and started healing people of their mental health crises issues, you know, I would not expect the city to be like, get out of here. But they did it to Jesus. You're the best. Oh, you're the worst. Can can I say this? Your acceptance needs to come from God. 
you need to be aware that people are just like you. I was at, uh, went to Garden of the Gods yesterday, and that wasn't the original plan. I was going to have, my, my wife signed up for this mud run, and I'm like, I want to see her crawl under barbed wire in like inches of mud. I, anybody else? I just, my wife is like so prime and proper and clean. I'm like, I I'll pay to see this. I did pay to see this. But then we get there, and they're like, hey, no, the event's closed. You know, we had a, a lightning, you know, half of a lightning bolt went across the sky 57 miles away, and so we don't want to take any liability. We can't take any chances, and therefore, it's canceled. So we went to Garden of the Gods, and I'm in line. I'm checking out and getting some stuff for my kids, and I'm like, hey, can I get a bag? And she goes, oh, there's no bag big enough for this. I'm like, well, you sell it, so do you have some? Oh, we don't have anything that you can put in. And, uh, and I said, oh, okay, all right, well, whatever. She puts the bag out. If I'm my daughter, Ariana, a sweatshirt, you know, it's like this big, right? She gives me a paper bag this big. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she hadn't scanned the sweatshirt yet, and I, and I didn't realize that. Because we'd already been staying there for like two minutes at that point. So I, I grabbed the sweatshirt, and, and I promise I wasn't meaning the lady. I'm just trying to tell you what's going on here. And I grabbed the sweatshirt, and I start handing it to Ariana. She goes, oh, I, I, I haven't scanned that. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. She goes, yeah, that'd be nice. And I said, you know what would be nice? an appropriate-sized plastic bag. <laughs> See, I'm old enough. Some of you are, la some of you are like, we're, you know, uh, anybody remember Captain Planet? Captain Planet, he's uh, going to take pollution down to zero. Ca I'm old enough to remember when scientists were like, plastic, no more trees are going to have to die. This is great. <laughs> and now they're like, you have a plastic bag? Why are you Satan? People change their minds, don't they? Yeah. Society changes their mind, don't they? You know what you ought to do? Quit trying to keep up with what people think about you and find out what God thinks about you. Yeah. Jesus could deal with rejection because he understood the nature of man. Can I say this? Jesus could deal with rejection because he learned to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, when you have purpose in your life, the other stuff's noise. You know, he tells his disciples, he's not telling them, hey, look, if they don't listen... Take your shoes off, put them back on, walk the other way. Look at Acts chapter 13. You know what Jesus does? The Bible says in John 17, you don't have to turn there, go to Acts 13, but as you turn there, in John 17, the Bible says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. His, his meat was to do the will of his father and to finish his work. And then a few chapters later, uh, after Peter denies him, after he's betrayed and arrested, after the crowds have shouted, after all the false accusation, as he hangs there on the cross and he breathes his last words, he breathes these three words. And I'm so thankful for these three words being recorded in John 19. I don't have to finish anything. I don't have to fix anything for my salvation. God did it all through his son, Jesus Christ. He breathed out these words it is finished. He did what he came to do. Aren't you glad for the Lord doing that in your life? But do you know why he was able to do that? Because he didn't stop and take surveys of what everybody thought along the way. He knew some people were going to hate him for what he was doing. He knew others would not appreciate that he was there and, and showing them God's authority over man's authority. He understood that. He was okay with the rejection because... He knew there was something way more important. You know what that way more important thing is? You. 
And you couldn't be saved if you didn't finish the job. Acts chapter 13. See what's going on. Well, there's this guy named Saul. He was killing Christians not that long ago. Now he's a born-again believer. And, and, and initially nobody wants him around, but Barnabas kind of brings him into the church. And in Acts chapter 13, if you look at the beginning of the chapter, I won't, I won't read all of it, but I want you to notice that Barnabas and Saul are both mentioned in verse 1. And I want you to notice in verse 2, the Bible says that the church got around these men that were, that were doing some great things for God. And, and, and the Bible says that they, as they ministered the Lord in verse 2, and they fasted, all right? The, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I mean, they're excited. You know, they're, they're singing, send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light. The church is uh, putting their hands up. You know, they're like, Lord, use Paul and Lord, use Barnabas and God, uh, allow them to do some great things for you. There's excitement and there's zeal and there's passion. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number five. And the Bible says, and they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John their minister. And when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, watch this, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Can you imagine getting an, an invitation from a government leader going, Man, I heard about you guys. I want to hear what it is you got to say. It's exciting. Look at the next verse. First word in that verse is? Oh. I just thought, like, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, like, everything's going to go the way I want it to. And there'll be no rejection. There'll be no opposition. And there'll be no... Can I say this right now? It is so much better to be saved and know I will never hear depart from me from God because he's gonna accept me in his beloved and I'll be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and know that the rejection I do experience right now is temporary. It is not eternal. It is not lasting. It is not forever. It is from mere mortals. It is not from the immortal, invisible, wise only God. The rejection I will experience in this life will be nothing compared to the glory I experience in the one to come. But you're going to have it. But they don't quit. They keep preaching. They keep going. Look down if you would at verse 42. Verse 42. Brian, can I shoot straight with you? Some people, um, maybe that knew you from before, they might look at you getting baptized going, what are you doing? You're like, What is that all about? I hope you have more support, but, but I'll tell you, a lot of times people get saved and some of their friends go, what's wrong with you? Why are you, you don't need to be a Jesus freak. I mean, you know, maybe go Christmas and go Easter twice a year like the aliens do, right? Whatever, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and you call it good. Why are you going to go every Sunday? Are you going to go every Wednesday? Why are you going to be like that? Can I get a witness? Look, look, if you would, at Acts 13, verse 42. The Bible says, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them. Oh, so here we are going and we're preaching in Jewish synagogues and the Gentiles are literally on the outside putting a cup with their ear to the door going, oh, oh, salvation for all. Oh, good news, I don't know, gospel, something. Uh-huh, what was that? Oh, yeah, and, and they're going, well, you know, let's, this, isn't, this isn't that great. Can we just maybe talk to them? And they go to Paul and go, hey, can, can we hear you preach again? It's exciting, isn't it? 
Now, now they're living out what, what they were sent out to do. They're, they're living out their commission, if you will, just like Jesus did, just like the apostles and the disciples did earlier on in the Gospels. Can I, can I show you? Look at verse, 42, verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Exciting! <laughs> Man, they're excited. So not just the Gentiles, even the Jews are getting saved here, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Check verse 44 out. Man, if I could get the whole city of Aurora to come out, you go, we don't have room. We'd bust the walls and we'd do something. But the whole city, look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, it came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. That's awesome. <laughs> What's the first word in the next verse? Looks like some trouble. Looks like some rejection. They don't quit. Look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. It's good stuff, isn't it? Verse 49, the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. What's the first word in that very next verse? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, if Paul and Barnabas were like us, he'd be like, probably been like, I don't know, man, maybe it's not worth it. It's going to be this hard. Everybody's going to reject us. I mean, yeah, there's some folks getting saved, but there's some people rejecting us too. I mean, like, what, what should we do? You know what they both do? Look at verse 51. They take those sketchers off, those slip-on shoes, you know. You know, when you're young, those may not be cool. When you get old and you have bad feet, sketchers are real cool, okay? Take those sketchers off. You know what they do? They put them back on keep going see when the main thing is kept the main thing it does everything else is noise you know what Jesus Christ did he valued eternal truth over temporary feelings you know what a rejection does it allows you to be in a place to serve others that you couldn't reach by everyone accepting you. I told you we were going to take a break from Joseph. I want you to go back there as we wrap up the message. Go back to Genesis chapter number 45. Genesis chapter 45. Well, how did Joseph deal with that rejection? Well, let me tell you. I think if you read the story, you're going to find out Joseph was not sinless, and I think he was tempted. I mean, he played some mind games for a little bit, right? Made him sweat a little bit, but look at Genesis 45. Look, if you would, at verse 1. Coming face to face with his brothers after all those years. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. It's so loud. He's crying so loud. You ever had those ugly cries? <laughs> and the snot's coming out, and you just can't barely see out your eyes, you know? I mean, it's ugly crying. And I'll be honest with you, I think, I think men are the ugliest criers. <laughs> True story. I've got girls, and, and when girls cry, it's just like, oh, man, I'll do any. You want a pony? Okay, baby. You want me to kill that man? Oh, oh he didn't call you back? I'll kill him, yeah. <laughs> But man, when a guy cries, snots everywhere, you know, and just, 
Ah! I mean, that's what Joseph's doing. The Egyptians are outside and they're listening. Go, what in the world is going on? You've got to put yourself in the story. And I want you to see something. Look at verse 5. You know when healing comes into Joseph's life from the rejection of his brethren? When he sees God in the rejection. See what I mean by that? Now therefore be ye not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. You know how you'll find healing from rejection in your life? When you go, you know what? I wouldn't have chosen that path, but look at what God brought me through. And look what I can do for him now. It has literally forged my character and allowed me to do things I would never have done otherwise. See, up to that point, there's no real healing. I mean, he's still playing some games, throwing cups and bags and coins and bags and all kinds of stuff and playing dumb and acting like he doesn't know who they are. This is when it gets real. You know how you deal with your rejection? You don't run from it. You look at it straight on in the, in the eye. You look at it in the mirror and you go, I don't like it. It hurts. But God, you sure are teaching me some things through it. Look at Genesis chapter 50 as we wrap it up. Genesis chapter 50. You know why people are so infatuated with social media? Because they want that rush of dopamine when someone likes their stuff. Because when you feel this thing of rejection, and maybe you don't have the right family, or maybe you come from the right family, but you just you got to have the acceptance of people, and you're not okay with being rejected by people. You just got to get that rush. You got to get that feeling. You got to get that sense. That's where society is at today. It is broken because we don't know how to deal with rejection God's way. Genesis chapter 50. I want you to consider this. Sometimes rejection can be meant for good. Genesis 50, look if you would at verse 20. But as for you, See, see, here's what happens. <laughs> Chapter 50 is where Big Daddy Jacob dies. And now that Jacob is dead, you know what all the brothers are thinking? Oh, man, the only thing that kept this thing together is now gone. He's the second in charge of the mightiest nation on the earth. He's going to kill us. And as they come to him trembling, Joseph breaks down and goes, you guys, you don't get it. I died a thousand times thinking about that day you left me. You know what brought me healing? God. He says, you meant it for evil. Christian, there's stuff that's going to happen in your life, and you're going to look at it, and you're going to go, how can God use this? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Christian, you choose how you handle rejection. Do it like Joseph. Do it like David. Do it like our Savior. You know why you're here? He didn't quit when they rejected him. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior... I'm going to tell you right now, 
The rejection that a Christian receives in this life is temporary. The rejection that you're going to experience is going to be here and well beyond here. Let me tell you something. I can deal with rejection from people. There's one person in this universe I don't want to be rejected by, and it's God himself. He came here and became one of you, became one of us, so that we could never stick our finger in his face and go, you don't know what it's like. You know, Jose, let me explain a little bit about what I experienced down there. I know exactly what it's like. And the difference between me and you, Jesus would say, is I didn't sin. If you're here without Jesus Christ, can I say this? You don't want to hear God say, depart from me. You know what you want to hear him say? Whosoever will, let him come. Let's all stand, every head bowed and every eye closed. I know we got a big baptismal trough here, but if the Lord's dealt with you, take advantage of the altar. You can walk around this way. There's space over there. Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you'd help us. We don't like rejection. Lord, I know some Christians right now that are very, uh, Lord, they're dealing with some real, real stuff. Lord, part of what they're dealing with, Lord, part of that burden, that load is not handling rejection the right way. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people. Lord, if there's any people on this planet that should know how to deal with it, it's us. Would you help us to be more like you? To deal with it the right way. Lord, I'm so thankful. I can't wait to see you. I preached about you, Lord, for a couple decades. I can't wait to lock eyes with you, Lord. And I'll say thank you for accepting me. With all my brokenness and all my sin. Lord, you're the only one in this universe that had a real good reason to reject me. You didn't. close, I'm going to ask a real simple question. If you're here and you're a child of God, you know you're saved. You just slip up your hand and say, yep, I'm one of them. I'm one of his children. Born again. Amen. But if you've never been saved, and you don't know what it means to be saved or you'd like to be saved, I'm not going to point you out. I, I'm not going to drag you down here in an altar or anything crazy like that. I just I want to pray for you. I'm going to have folks get baptized in a moment, but this is important. If you're here and you've never been saved and you'd like to be saved today, you'd like someone to open up a Bible and show you how to be saved, we can do that. I'd love to. we got others around here that would love to show you what it means to be saved. If that's you this afternoon, no one looking around, people in the spirit of prayer, would you, would you be willing with heads bowed and eyes closed 
to simply lift your hand and go, Pastor Adrian, would you pray for me? I, I, I can't save you. I can't do that. It's not my power. It's not my ability, but, but I'd like to be able to pray for you. Is anybody here like that? You're not saved, but you'd like to know how to be saved. I see that. Appreciate that honesty. Anybody else? I'll tell you something right now. The greatest experience of life is knowing that you're accepted by God himself. Regardless of what other voices might say, he'll never cast you out. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Before you leave today, I'd love to show you from the Bible for those willing to admit they want to be saved, need to be saved. I'd love to show you from the Bible. It's so simple. It's so simple, people overlook it. I'd love to show you how you can be saved, how you can be born again, how you can be a new creature in Christ. Come on up. Uh, I'm going to have those who are getting baptized exit through this door, go downstairs.